to touch Jesus. I want you to think of a time in your past when when pain was more familiar to you than than relief. Uh, Chronic, persistent, unrelievable pain. Uh, It can can mess with with your head. It does something bad to, to the wiring of your brain. Can you remember the frustration at your inability to, to control what was, what was happening to you? Do you recall that, uh, that metallic taste in your mouth as the panic welled up when you realized the utter, utter extent of your hopelessness? What of the, the loneliness, the isolation of being in circumstances no one you knew could possibly relate to. Okay, there. Right right there, that that feeling of, of, of sheer desperation, a willingness to do whatever it takes to change your lot in life, that is what this message is about. Jesus returned to the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and there a throng of people met him, uh, hoping that Jesus would would somehow notice him in the crowd. A ruler uh, there in Galilee uh, was was, was present. His his daughter was dying, and he says, Jesus, if you could just come. You could just come and lay your hand on her. Uh, she would be healed. And Jesus agreed uh, to go. They began their journey to, to, to save this little girl's life. But there was an interruption along the way. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 5, look at verse 24. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Now that's, this, this is a hemorrhage, an issue of blood, a discharge that would not stop. We need to understand her plight. Her situation was far worse than her physical condition indicated. First, Jesus was going to heal this 12-year-old who was dying because she had contracted some kind of illness. And this woman had been sick as long as this little girl had been alive. Twelve years. Not to mention the constant anemia, the the persistent weakness, the overpowering tiredness, the susceptibility to other illnesses because of being so weak. Then add to that the abject loneliness and isolation. And the reason for that is explained in Leviticus chapter 15. Leviticus chapter 15, verses 20 to 27, it explains it this way. And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation, she shall be unclean. 
Verse 26 says, Every bed wherein she lieth all the days of her issue shall be unto her as a bed of her separation, and whatsoever she sitteth upon shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her separation, and whosoever toucheth those things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. So 12 years This woman had lived without human touch. She had lived 12 years in isolation. She had to live with the shame of something that she could not help. Most people would prefer, you know, health and, you know, they'd rather be healthy than wealthy, right? This woman had had 13 years earlier had both, but she spent her wealth and she was still unhealthy. Now she was sick, she was, she was rejected, living in poverty, and she probably lived in such physical pain, not so much due to the illness, but because of some of the treatments that the doctor had tried. The Talmud, the ancient Jewish writings, they gave 12 different cures for bleeding. I'll spare you the list, but as is sometimes the case, the, the cure can be worse than the, the, the disease, and physical pain even from the treatments paled in comparison to the emotional pain that she bore she was rejected shunned despised even by her own family she must have been seriously depressed at the end of herself seeing no end in sight and then she heard something she heard of some hope i mean what would you not do for just a little bit of hope for just a little bit of light in the dark. Look at verse 27 of Mark 5. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Now risking further ridicule and, and, and further disobedience to the law, she went to touch Jesus' garment. She, she, she risked defiling him and anybody who happened to bump into her among that throng of people. Now some commentaries teach that, that, that she was hoping that, that she wouldn't defile him, but I believe there's more to it than this. See, this is, this is a desperate person taking desperate measures in a desperate situation because she believed in the promises of God. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now, now verse 1 is kind of rough, all right? Listen to it, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. That's pretty bleak, right? What we really want, though, is verse 2. We really can't separate them because they're one sentence. But verse 2 says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Now, just as a side note, this is kind of cute. I don't really do cute unless it's grandkids, but this is kind of cute. 
you've seen little 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 calves, little little sheep. What do you call little sheep? Lambs. Okay, um, just puppies. Okay, they're just bounding around. They're full of energy, right? Okay, that, that's where they grow up as the calves of the stall. I mean, they're just happy. They have no care in the world, okay? That's what happens to those that fear God's name. That, that, that the son of righteousness arises with healings in his wings. That's the result, okay? Now, the Jews recognize this passage as being about the Messiah. But there's something important here. That phrase, healing in his wings, has, has another meaning here. It can be interpreted in the Hebrew as, as healing in the corners or healing in his tassels. Now, how do we know that Jesus wore tassels? Numbers chapter 15, verse 38 and 39. Numbers 15, 38 says, Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringes of the borders a ribbon of gold. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. That's how we know Jesus had that. Jesus, as a rabbi, would have had a tasseled prayer shawl. And now this woman heard of Jesus and thought, this is the Messiah. If I can just touch a tassel on his prayer shawl, then I will be healed. Now let me point out. There's no magic in Jesus' prayer shawl. Right? We don't need to, to have a movie. Nobody needs to write a book about finding the last prayer, lost prayer shawl of Jesus and all the healing it can do. All right? A loving Father in heaven honored this woman's faith in the Messiah. That is why she was healed. And Jesus would tell her that in Mark 5. Look at verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Seest thou the multitude thronging thee? And thou sayest, Who touched me? Now that, that, that thronging him, that's, that's the word they would use for, for, for when they would press olives to get the oil or grapes to get the juice. I mean, they're all just mashed together. They're saying, Jesus, you are surrounded by people. <laughs> Who touched you? Really? Verse 32 says, and he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. Now, there's a, there's a lot of conversation about this verse. Some of us, with our understanding of who Jesus is, this verse doesn't make complete sense. In John chapter 2, verses 23, 24, and 25, it says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, uh, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Verse 24 says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And yet here Jesus in Mark 5 is asking, who touched my clothes? He could see into the hearts in John 2, but here he doesn't know who touched him. A couple of, 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 of things here will, will help. Um, really, if, if we can get a full picture, a complete understanding of Jesus on earth, it will help clear this up if we, if we get stuck on it. 
Jesus gave up his glory to be born of man, to be joined with humanity. He lived fully dependent upon the Father for all of his information. In John 2, God revealed to him what was in the hearts of the people. We understand that, but in this account today, the Father had another purpose, and he withheld specific information uh, about this woman. That's verified in verse 32, because that Greek word that's used means that, 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 that he looked deeply, he looked intently into the people to see who had been cleansed, who had been healed. In Mark chapter 5, verse 33, it says, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole, Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. See, wanting to, to slip away, this woman chose to come forward. You know, you, some, some of you this morning are going to want to just slip away after the service. You need Jesus to do something for you, but, but you don't want anybody to find out about it. Uh, maybe it's pride, maybe it's shame, maybe it's embarrassment, uh, which really, you know, shame and embarrassment are just the children of pride, by the way, but you don't want anybody to know your business, but yet you need a touch from Jesus. But you know, really, in most cases, we already know your business, so you're just kidding yourself there. You need to reach for Jesus because only he has what you desperately need. This woman's desperate need overpowered her pride. It overpowered the cultural norms in the day and 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 I have to ask are you there yet or 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 do you still think that you can fix you do you really think you can do to you what needs to be done you still need that touch Jesus may call on you to say something about it it certainly isn't hidden from God it may be hidden from everybody else so you just think it is but God knows this she, she knew he was talking about her. And, and, and you will know Jesus is calling for you. You will know when you have touched Christ and he has done something. This was the Messiah, she thought. And now he wants me to talk with great reverence, with fear, trembling, she comes forward. She fell on her face at his feet and told him everything. Now, we're, we're, we're not given her words, but it seems like Jesus needed to clear up some misunderstanding here. See, Jesus didn't say, woman, my tassels healed you. It's a good thing you made it through the crowd. No. He said, your faith. Right. Your, your faith hath made you well. Go enjoy your wholeness. Go enjoy your new life. Your faith has healed you. Enjoy. Now that right there is what happens when you are so desperate, when you've looked for answers everywhere else on the planet and nothing has come through and you finally reach out and you touch Jesus and he does in you what needs to be done, this is what happens. Now let me share you some thoughts here. 
The first thought is about our suffering. Our lives are not about health or wealth or happiness. Our lives are not about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Wouldn't it be, be sad if, if the eternal testimony of this woman was, was something like this? Well, you know, she may spend an eternity in hell, but, you know, at least she got to stop suffering for a few years. I mean, if I understand hell for, for what it is, I mean, that would be a horrible, horrible disappointment for this, for this lady. There's many preachers and teachers today that are focusing way too much on, on this life they teach you that god doesn't want you to suffer here at all uh they 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 say that that it's god's plan to make to make your life on earth happy and prosperous and healthy makes me think have they read scripture at all i don't want to sound negative but i think we need a larger understanding of god than that In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, it says, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Verse 30 says, And if the right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. In those verses there, God gives us his value system. He's he's, he's saying, "If, if I could take away your pain and suffering, I would, but not at the cost of your eternity. He says, if I could heal your disease, I would, but not at a loss of the glory that he as God wants to share with us eternally because of the suffering we went through. Now, I'm in no position to tell you exactly what God is trying to accomplish in your life. But I can tell you what God says. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that, we suffer with him. And that if so be can also be translated since we will suffer with him. That we may be also glorified together. Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I know because scripture says that, that, that our suffering here will increase our, our, our glory there. In 2 Corinthians four sixteen and 17, it says, for which cause we faint not, But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment. Like, you know how long I've suffered with this affliction? This ain't no stinking moment. This lady's been going through this for 12 years. But when you compare that to eternity, in the presence of God, it is but a moment. And it says, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now I know that anything I go through in life ultimately will give God glory 
and it will ultimately be for my good. Those two concepts are inseparable if you're a child of God, for God's glory and for your good. In Romans 8.28, I know we, we dish that verse out like a doctor hands out aspirin, but it's still the truth of the word of God. And we know that all things, all things, our suffering, our pain, our torment, our trials work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, love always, love always protects and love always restricts, but love often hurts. Love will, will, will suffer misunderstandings and doesn't change. And, and you see, God, God loves you so much, he will allow suffering if it's for your best. He will allow you pain, inconvenience. He will allow torment if it will bring you glory in the presence of God. It may hurt him and it may hurt you. But pain by itself does not mean a thing is bad. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 12 to 16, it says, Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast. We hold fast our profession, cling to that faith in Christ, it says. Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And what's the result then? Let us therefore come boldly, or let us come with confidence. Let us come with assurance under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Someday you will see the pain that you have today as evidence of God's love for you. I don't expect that we'll fully understand it, but we will then. For now, all we can do is draw near to the throne of grace. God's mercy will find you right there. It might not relieve the suffering on earth, but his grace will sustain you through it. Another thought about our struggles, and that is this, that the difficulty is going to be worth it. The difficulty this woman had was not all because of her disease. Everybody knew that she had this issue of blood. She was required to, to, to cry or yell, unclean, everywhere she went so that the crowd could part so they wouldn't risk touching her and becoming unclean themselves. The public perception of this woman made it difficult for her to even seek Jesus. And not only that, but the law of Moses. I mean, the law stood against her. She, she, she was commanded not to touch anyone, especially a rabbi. She could be condemned to death for seeking the touch of a rabbi. Now, some commentaries think that she was kind of selfish in uh, doing this. But, see, Jesus has set off on the mission to heal this 12-year-old dying girl. And if he had been made unclean by a touch of an unclean person, then he would have been done for the day. He could not have gone inside the house to, to, to heal or raise the little girl. But, but by the way, Jesus, he could not be made unclean. 1 Peter 1.19 makes it clear. Even when he bore all the sins of every person in the entire world that has ever existed, he was still the spotless sacrifice. 
Perhaps it was a concern in the woman's mind as she struggled into the crowd to get close enough to touch him. Maybe this is why she tried just to fade away into the crowd as soon as she could, as soon as she can be healed, uh, really just facing another obstacle to come into Christ. See, everybody thinks they have problems. Everybody thinks they have obstacles in their approach to Christ. Everybody thinks we have difficulties in, in, in surrendering to Christ, but most of them, from an eternal perspective, are just clouds of mist that are created by Satan to hinder you from getting closer to him. Many of them are just figments of our own defiled imagination. All of them are meaningless compared to the worth of your own soul. I mean, what would this woman not do to get to touch Jesus? Nothing was more important to her than her healing, and she knew Jesus could do it. The last thought is about our Savior. This woman had literally tried everything, and nothing worked. But then she heard about Jesus. See, her problem started long before Jesus even started his public ministry. Then she heard about Jesus. Now, what had she heard? That, that he'd healed others? Partly, that's what she heard. But see, only, only God could heal. So, so surely, if, if he's healing, he must be God. He must be the son of righteousness. Surely, he had healing in his wings, healing in his corners. Surely, he has healings in his tassel. This woman has a broken heart and a broken life. The law of God had condemned her in her condition to that broken life, separated from God and people. And the only way she could be healed in her heart was to not be under the condemnation of the law. Jesus, in his mercy, by the power of God, healed her body. So the law then no longer separated her from God. The law no longer separated her from her friends and her loved ones. Her forgiveness and faith no longer separated her from God. Oh, what a wonderful picture of the lost person, the sinner outside of Christ, coming to Christ, condemned by the law, rejected by humanity, alone and condemned. But she comes to Christ and she is saved. That is us. We were her before we reached out to Jesus ourselves. In her, we find us before Christ. And afterwards, we are her who has found Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to look there. Ephesians chapter 2, turn in your Bibles. Let me hear some pages turn. Or some phones beeping if you're using your phone. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look at verse 12. We're going to read verse 12 to 16. Because this is what happened spiritually to this lady physically. All right? what, what happened to the lady physically is what happened to us spiritually. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 12. It says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, containing ordinances for to making himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. That is what happened physically to that lady that day, and that is what happens spiritually when we come to faith in Christ. Oh, sinner, if you're here, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you need to press through the crowd. You need to reach out by faith. You need to grab hold of him. He wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to heal your broken life. He wants to heal you from your bondage to sin. He wants you to surrender. Surrender to his loving hand. It might hurt, but but you work through the pain, you draw nearer to his heart because he loves you and he wants you close to him. See, people try all sorts of, uh, of other cures today to try to fix their, their spiritual ailments. They try everything but, but the one thing that will work. And that is faith in, submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are still trying to find your healing. You're still trying to find your help in, in your own devices or, 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 or something that the world has to offer. You aren't at the end of your rope yet. You're, you're this lady, you know, 10 years ago or, or five years ago or seven years ago. You haven't tried. You're not hopeless yet. You aren't, you aren't desperate yet for Jesus the way she was. Or you just don't realize how desperate your situation is. Lost, condemned without Christ, utterly hopeless. You're still trying to find things that later you realize did not work, will not work, will never work. That your hope now and your only hope has ever been to come to Christ in faith. When you get to the end of that rope, then you will be desperate to find Jesus. And oh, you will do whatever it takes just to reach out and touch that hem of his garment when he is your only hope, when, when, when everything else has failed, when all of your crutches have been knocked out from under you, when everything you have tried has blown up in your face, you will want to find Jesus. But don't, don't wait too long. You have uh, no guarantee to how much time you'll have. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you need to come. You need to come to Jesus. If you know Jesus as Savior, but you have strayed, you think you can do better than He, you need to come back to Jesus. Drop the barriers of your pride and, and, and the barriers of your shame. Be warmed by the fire of His grace and love. You cannot heal yourself. You can't fix it. 
You can't fix it with a better attitude. You can't fix it by turning over a new leaf. You can't fix it by making a new commitment about this thing or that. But you can come to Jesus by faith and be made eternally whole. That, that is what you can do, but that is all you can do. This lady, I love the way Jesus says it at, at verse 34. Just go enjoy your life now. You've been healed. Go enjoy the rest of it. Her faith in Christ healed her. Your faith in Christ can heal you. How bad do you want it? Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we want to thank you for... Lord, this isn't just a story. This is a real lady in a real crowd in a real desperate situation. Lord, it's not just a story. It's not just, just, just an anecdote. Lord, she is, she's in heaven right now and we'll get to meet her. Father, thank you for, for including her, just a couple of verses, including her account as what you can do when somebody believes you. And Lord, we're of a, a varied cross-section this morning. The need is diverse. The need is great. You know each heart, Lord. You know the ones that need to drop their pride, to admit their sin, to repent of their sin and come to Christ in faith. You know each one that needs to do that this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict them. Lord, you love them so dearly. You want nothing more than to be their God and for them to be your people. But you are also a respectful God. And while you may work to make us willing, you don't violate our will. I pray, Father, that you would draw those this morning that need Christ as Savior. That as this woman's physical destiny was changed, their eternal destiny can change. And Lord, for those of us who know Christ, but we've gotten lazy, we've gotten complacent, we... We've kind of wandered away a little bit, thinking we, we know better, thinking we could do better our own way. Father, I pray that you would lead us back to you as well. Not, not for salvation, of course, but, but for that close fellowship through your Son. For that, uh, for that fellowship that comes from a broken heart, realizing that that without you we are nothing, but you and us and us in you, because you are everything, we have enough. Remind us, Father, of how much enough you are for us. Father, we pray you do this work in us unhindered by our own pride, our own sin, for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Mike, would you come ahead?